Well, good morning, Arbor, and Merry Christmas. I hope you guys love that bumper because I think Hayden's creativity just flows so well in that bumper video. <laughs> so this morning we are starting our, our new Christmas series called Christmas Story. And throughout this series, we're just going to be looking at the, the stories leading up to the birth of Jesus. And today I am starting probably one of the most read most memorized and most challenging scripture of them all, and that is the genealogy of Jesus. <laughs> now, I, obviously, I'm you know, playing around there. Um, I would be shocked if any of you have ever memorized the genealogy of Jesus. I really don't think that's usually on the, on the list, but I actually do believe that it is one of the most read scriptures in, uh, in our Bible, because, you know, some of us, when we decide that we want to start reading the Gospels or just start reading the New Testament, it's like the very first chapter of it. And so sometimes, you know, our Christian guilt won't let us just skip it. And so we read it. But one thing I think that we really don't let it do is sink in when we're reading it. I feel like we just gloss over it because in reality, it is a long list of names. But after this Sunday, my hope is that when, after, after this message, when we see these names, we actually now start letting it sink in because when we see these names, I hope that we remember that each name has a story to it, that each name has a life lived, that each name has, has a story of maybe excitement, a story of joy, stories of romance, stories of laughter, and maybe even stories of some challenges, some struggles, some pain, some loneliness, some tears. Each name comes with a story in this genealogy. So I want you to, I want some of you to look back or maybe some of you look forward to your daughter's graduation, whether that's high school or whether that's college. And I want you to imagine that moment. You are, you're walking into the auditorium or, or the, the stadium, depending on how big this graduation is. And as you're trying to make your way to the seat, you're, you're given a pamphlet. And in that pamphlet has the list of all names who are graduating that day. And as you finally get to your seat, you sit down, you open it, and you start scrolling, looking for her name. And you're very frustrated that God has cursed you with a last name starting with Z. So, you know, you've got to wait to the very end. But you look, you look at the list, and there it is. There's her name and all the honors that she's going to be graduating with. But see, for you, it is not just a name. When you see that name, you go back to the years it took to get to this point. The countless hours that you witnessed her staying up late trying to finish that assignment. The amount of stress on every project that came her way. And you start looking a little bit at yourself of all the pens and papers that you purchase and all those ridiculously priced calculators that you had to get every year. You start thinking back to all the boys that you were trying to scare away and all the heartbreaks that you had to help her through. And you go back to all the prayer requests that you had for her and now all the new ones that you were going to be having for her protection. See, all that comes when you see her name. See, that's like the genealogy. If when you look at this list 
of names. It's not just names. They are real people, real stories, real events, real struggles. Each name comes with a story. So I want us to look at some names today. Um, I'm not going to give you guys the satisfaction of me trying to read every single name in, the, in this genealogy. I'm not going to be the next viral video. Um, so you guys, uh, if you want to get your Bibles ready, we will be looking at Matthew's genealogy. But what I hope is as we, as we do look at these names, that we see a little bit of ourselves in, in the people that we have picked this morning. Because in reality, as we talk about names, every person in this room, you are names with stories, with real experience, real life, real struggles. And I hope that as we see these people, that we can relate to them. But just to look at you real quick, I, uh, I came across an image the other, the other day that actually like really shook me a little bit. As I read it, it's, uh, it just felt like my whole world just had to pause as I was processing this information. And I want to share it with you. It's, it's called the Ancestral Mathematics. You might have heard it before. It is a very simple equation, kind of obvious, like, like it makes sense. But I just never thought of it before. And so I want to I share that with you guys today. And, it, and it's, it is the equation that just makes you. It is how you were born. And it's simply this. In order for us to be born, we need two parents, four grandparents, and eight great-grandparents. Now, I'm going to stop there for a little bit because, you know, this is usually the people that we, you know, have a chance or a blessing to get to know within our life. But the equation doesn't stop there. Because then it turns into 16 great-great-grandparents, and then 32 third-great-grandparents, to if you start going down 12 generations of your line, it takes 4,096 people to make you. 4,096 people to get you where you're at today. Have you ever just stopped and thought of that before? I mean, honestly, think for a second. Think of all the stories that have happened with 4,094 people. All the struggles, all the difficulties, all the joy, all the excitement, all the church attendance, all the baptism moments, all the second baptism moments, all the people who are working hard so that their kids can have a better life and that their kids have a better life and all the Christmas stories. See, when we, seen this gene- when we look at this genealogy, let's remember that each name does have a story and each story is leading somewhere or something. And in this case, with this genealogy, their story was leading to Jesus. So let's dive in. Like I said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read it all, but I will pick a few out. And the first person I want to pick out is the guy named Perez, or Perez, or if you, you know go to the Bible app, maybe he can say it a lot better than I can. But I want to look at his story because honestly, I see my I, I see my story, the start of my story in his life. 
But to go with his story, you really need to look at his parents. And it starts with one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and his, name, the, his father's name is Judah. So let me tell you the story here. Judah was looking for a wife for his son, Ur. And as he was looking, he found what he thought was the perfect person, by the na- a woman by the name of Tamar. Now, Tamar, getting married, probably really excited for the future life that she might have with Ur, got cut really short because scripture tells us that Ur was evil in the sight of the Lord and it eventually led to his death. So now Tamar has found herself as a widow. But Judah, being a great father-in-law and living up to what the culture would have at this moment, has Tamar now be with her brother-in-law, because that was a culture. The brother-in-law now takes over and starts raising the offspring. But this brother did not want to live up to his duties. In fact, scripture said that any time that he was about to live up to his duty, he would spread his seed on the ground, which eventually led to him being evil as well and him losing his life. So here you go, poor Tamar, a woman who probably just had dreams of a life, loses her first husband, and kind of feels rejected by her second. Isn't that just a life that just just feels lonely? But Judah, being a good father-in-law, has the correct solution for Tamar. He says in Genesis 38, he said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. So he had a solution. He, he, she was just gonna wait for the next son to come of age, and then she would have her, her, the life that she dreamed of. But what we can gather from scripture is Judah did not actually live up to that. He, he didn't listen to what the, own, the, the solution that he came up with. So Tamar incredibly lonely for years, decides to come up with a solution of her own. And it says that after Judah's wife died, so now Judah is, is missing his partner, he becomes a lonely man. So scripture says that she pretended to be a prostitute for Judah in order to, to make her own solution to this. And then she would eventually become pregnant of this. And the information came out three months later. It was told to Judah that Tamar is pregnant. Now, if you're a widow and you're pregnant, you know, it doesn't really add up. So Judah gets incredibly angry to the point where scripture says like he wanted her to burn until it was brought up who the father was, which was Judah. And here's Judah's response. He says, she is more righteous than I since I did not give her to my son, Sheila. And it says that he did not know her again. Really important fact there. So now the story ends with Tamar giving birth to twins and one of them being Perez, a child born out of wedlock based upon the sins of their parents. Now I feel like there's a lot of us who can just relate, have a similar story to that instance of maybe parents not being married when you were, when you were born or parents just not being together. Like I said, that 
he did not know her again. Parents just not being with each other. But I love this story because Perez was not known by that. That wasn't his identity. And in fact, God still had major plans for this family that Perez, a guy who could be judged based upon the sins of his parents, is in the line of Jesus. It didn't matter. Which just makes me feel great because I have a very similar story to that where my parents weren't together when I was born and they weren't married when I was born and, you know, had the whole custody issue growing up. And I will be honest, that was a very hard childhood because of that. But to know, to see this man in the scripture have a similar story where parents aren't together and still his line ends with Jesus. I saw that story, guys. And I just want to share it with you because I'm like, man, there's, I, if I know that it relates to me, I know some of you can really relate to a similar story with that. That Perez, after everything his family went through, all the, the lies, the, the, let's just go with lies, all the lies, <laughs> it didn't define him. So I love that. I love that story. So let's go to the next one. Um, one of the, another great name in, the sto- in this genealogy, one of my favorite people in the Bible because of her story. And I want to look at Ruth. Now, my, I would advise you guys to open up the book of Ruth and just read the four chapters that has it, because I'm going to give a very short synopsis of her life. But I want to, I want to look at her because, again, I feel like most of us can relate to her story. But to look at her story, we really need to start with the beginning and look at her mother-in-law named Naomi. Now, Naomi was married, and she had two sons of her own. But sometime in the story... Naomi's husband died, and she was left to raise these two sons. So we have another widow. And then those two sons, one of them eventually marrying Ruth, those two sons eventually died. So now in this story, we have three widows in life together. And Naomi, leading these two, decided to leave the area with with Ruth and, and sister-in-law and returned to the land of Judah. Now, during that journey, she has this conversation with them in Ruth 1. It says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, in law, two daughters-in-law, go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. Now, I want to read you guys how this conversation continues, because what we see here is just a lot of pain, a lot of pain from what Naomi has experienced. I mean, she lost her husband. She lost her two sons, and just the pain of, of now her trying to not lose her two daughter-in-laws, but lose her two daughter-in-laws by just saying, cutting the ties before like, I guess maybe in her control of cutting this tie. That's how the conversation continues. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. 
For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So after this conversation, one of the daughters leaves. But Ruth stays behind and says this to Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So I bring up Ruth in this because I feel like we can relate to this. Just like, here's one little thing. Maybe some of you in this room weren't a believer your whole lives. Maybe some of you in this room had a hard upbringing or just hard aspects of your life, some real struggles, some real challenges. And, and I think um, a few weeks ago, Cliff was talking about prayer and uh, when people have a breakthrough in prayer. One of the main themes that we heard of what people would say with a breakthrough in prayer was, was desperation. And here, I, could, I would say that this, for all women involved, this is a moment of desperation in their lives. You see, it was because of Naomi's leadership in Ruth's life that she decides that I'm going to stay. And not only am I going to stay, but where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. And she says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So how many of us in this room have had just hard times, moments of desperation, and there was that one person, maybe a few people in our life that led us to Jesus? that led us to the hope, the hope for the future, the hope in our lives, that led us to the salvation, that led us to the birth of Jesus. How many of us have just have people to thank for getting us in the sanctuary? This woman experienced so much pain, so much suffering, and now left with, honestly, a tough decision in the moment. Like, Naomi's saying leave, she's saying no. Naomi's saying leave, she's saying no. Like in that moment, she has to make a decision. And she makes a decision which leads her to God. But not just God, to Jesus. Because this woman is in the line of Jesus. Her story, her pain, her struggle is in the line of Jesus. I feel like a lot of us can relate to that. And now one more, one more story of, honestly, this is a great person. Uh, I loved reading so much about this person, but I want to look at Josiah now. King Josiah, a very good king. And you can find Josiah's story in 2 Kings chapter 22. And, but I'll, I'll, I will give you guys the summary. When Josiah became king, he was eight years old. Eight years old when he first became king. So those of you with eight-year-olds, I don't know if you can imagine <laughs> Your eight-year-old being king. <laughs> or even 10. Or even 13. If, if, <laughs> imagine if Fortnite existed. <laughs> Your kid were kings or queens. But he was eight years old when he became king. And he, became, and he was king for 31 years uh, in Jerusalem. 
And the scripture says that this man did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And this, I believe this was a kid, you know, eventually became a man who was doing everything to his power, to his knowledge of doing the best to to follow God and to get the people around him to follow God. But what he discovered in his 18th year of being king, 18 years is he actually wasn't doing that good of a job, and nobody else was, and I'll tell you what happened. When he, in his 18th year as a king, he sent a secretary to the house of the Lord to count money. And now while this secretary was there, he came across the book of the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. He came across the book of the law, and he brought it to the king, and he read it to the king. And they, Josiah became so mad that he tore his clothes because he realized that he wasn't doing it right and none of his fathers weren't doing it right. Like nobody was doing this correctly. So then he had uh, his priest to go up and inquire to the Lord and say, hey, like what, what does this mean? And God came back and said, yeah, you're right. Nobody is doing this right. And in fact, the whole area is gonna be destroyed because of it. But God said, however, you will not see this because of your heart for this. So Josiah his life was going to end not seeing the demise that was coming. So then Josiah gathered every elder, every priest, every prophet, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, anybody that he had power to say, come over here. And he read the whole law to everyone around, the whole law. So I imagine, I don't know if you guys can imagine coming to the sanctuary and we're saying, hey, we're going to read the first five books right here, right now. So listen up. But he read, the, he read the book of the law and he started making a change in his area. He started taking down uh, what was the object of false worship. Started helping people to see and to truly worship their God. And now here's one thing, one major thing that he restored, which it came kind of a shock to me. And I had to tell, I ran over to Allison's office and said, hey, hey, did you know this? Um, but here it is, one thing that he restored. 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 21, it says, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judge Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. He brought back the Passover, which if you guys don't know what the Passover is, it was a celebration every year of the angel of death passing over all of the God's people's firstborn, so their their firstborns didn't die, but it hit all of the Egyptians in order to free God's people from slavery. It's supposed to be celebrated every year, but it tells us that this wasn't celebrated since the time of the judges, which to let that sink in, King David did not celebrate Passover. All the stories of David, Saul, Goliath, and everything in between, they did not celebrate the Passover. King Josiah brought it back. It never hit me until I read this thing. I'm like, wow, what a big thing to be missing. But he brought back Passover, and King Josiah is in the genealogy of Jesus. And how I feel like we can relate to him is, Josiah was a follower of God his whole life. His whole life. 
But what we can tell is, just wasn't doing it right. Doing it to the best of his ability, but then when he came across the book of the law, he realized, man, there's a lot of room for improvement. And I feel like that happens to most of us as we follow Jesus, where maybe some of you have believed your whole life. Can't remember a day when you didn't go to church or knew the stories or the songs. But then there was that message or that song or the first time you opened up the Bible when you're like, wow, I'm actually not living up to this. I feel like a lot of us can relate to that, where it just, just hits us like bricks of how we can just be a little bit better as followers of Jesus. So I look at King Josiah's story, I'm like, yeah, man, like, there's so many of us in, our, in, in the sanctuary who I think can relate to Josiah and the other two. See, these are amazing people, three amazing people and amazing stories that are in this genealogy. Man, they're not just names. They're real people, real stories, real events, real moments that God used to get to something. And in this case, to get to Jesus, to get to the line of Jesus. But what I love is it was Jesus for them and their line, but it was also Jesus for the whole world. It was Jesus for everyone. And it was, it was their stories, all those lists, all those names that you see, it was their stories that eventually led for the gift of Jesus, this Christmas story for the whole, whole world. It is not just a list of names. They were real people. Just like everyone in this room. You all have your, have your stories. Everyone in this room, everyone online, you have your stories. You have your moments. You've had your struggles. You've had your joys. And I believe that God is doing the same thing to you that he was doing with the people in the genealogy. That your story, that your story is leading to Jesus. So I want to ask you guys this question first, is what will God do with your story? The life that you've been living, what will God do with it? And the answer, I think he's going to lead, Jesus, lead you to Jesus, and he's going to use your story to lead others to Jesus. Because just like the genealogy, you guys have stories of laughter, of excitement, of joy, but you've also had some challenging stuff. You've also felt pain. You might have, you felt loneliness. You've had some tears. But God is going to use it to lead you and others to Jesus. We see it in this list. And I can't wait to see what God does in life. Because I do believe that your story, that's the point for this morning, your story does lead to Jesus. Like I said, it's Jesus for you and Jesus for others. But let's start with that Jesus for you. I want to read what the, the author in Hebrews wrote to, to remind us of why we go through what we're going through, where, where we're headed. And he says this in Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
The author says that God will not overlook your work and love that you have shown the saints. He also mentions that he doesn't want you to feel sluggish, but be imitators of those who inherit the promise. I love this section because it is, it is a reminder and an encouragement at the same time of why we're going through what we're going through, why we're living this life, and where, what our story is all about. But I love the sluggish part because it's like he knows. It's like he definitely knows that there's times in our life when we're just going to feel sluggish and be like, why? Like, God, why? Why is this happening? But it reminds us that God is not unjust and he will not forget the hard work that you guys are doing. And he's leading you to inherit that promise of salvation. It is a reminder that our story is going to lead to Jesus. You know, whether we like it or not, whether he's going to return or we go to him, that our story will eventually lead to Jesus. But our story can help others lead to Jesus as well. Paul writes, in Colossians 1, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am feeling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, while he powerfully works within me. See, Paul says, that he rejoices in his suffering. That's what his story has been so far. He's saying he rejoices in the suffering, the challenges that he's been experiencing in his life because he knows that through this challenge, through his story, that he's making the word of God known. Last week, we had an amazing service. If you were not here last week, I encourage you all to watch online. But we heard some incredible testimonies, some incredible testimonies that I pray made a difference in at least one person's life. But see, the thing, it's not just the people on stage. Every single one of you have a testimony. Every single one of you has a story. And that story can be the difference of where somebody is going in the end. Your story has a difference for their story. You just need to share it. You just need to use it to make the word of God known, to help them strive to the end. So your story can make all the difference in somebody else's. So that's, that's why I love this genealogy. So I love it. All those names, all those names eventually leading to Jesus. Jesus for them and Jesus for everybody else. And it's the same for every one of you in this room. That your story is leading to Jesus for you and what I believe everyone else. Your story leads to Jesus. But I do want to say that I, 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 it'd be really, really dumb of me, to be honest with you, if I don't also acknowledge that some of you 
might be having a really hard time in your life right now. Might be one of the hardest years or two years of your life. I think that's a common theme you would ask like pretty much anybody. Like these last two years have been really hard. That I want to say, if that's you, if that is you, if you are having a difficult time right now, please come reach out to a staff member, to one of the elders or, or the prayer team if they're in the corner. Just give it to them. But most importantly, reach out to Allison so she can care for you because she is our care pastor. <laughs> but if this is a really hard time for you, man, in this time of worship, give it to Jesus. But give it to us as well so we can carry your burdens as well. So I don't want to be dumb. I don't want to be ignorant of, of what you may be going through right now. But please, let us know. Jesus, thank you for your genealogy. I don't think I've ever said that in my life. But thank you for your genealogy. And thank you for just your ancestors, how we can learn from them, feel like we're part of them. But most importantly, Jesus, thank you for being in our line. And thank you for being in our story. And, and I don't know how the message got to each person in this room, but I have to imagine out of the 4,096, that one of those people helped get the gospel to us. But I thank you, Lord, for just our story and what we're going through. And I know that might be difficult for some people in this room to say thank you for it. But Lord, I thank you for it. I think that you that I thank you that we can learn from it. I thank you that we can grow from it, mature in it. And I pray that it is used for your kingdom, for your glory to the end. We pray this in your name. Amen.